Hey, this is Jenny and Levi Lusco, and Hello. we are so excited. Sorry. You never know what to say when you, you say, say that. You're tickling my thigh. <laughs> Nothing can't be solved without a lick in your finger. Right. Just take care of it. Hey, this is Jenny and Levi, and we are so excited to be at this climactic finale of the Wild Blue Yonder series. Right. We're just really trying to create some runway because we believe there's enormous things that God from heaven wants to land in our lives and to use our lives as uh, the springboard to catapult and to launch many things into the world to touch and bless many people. And so all across Fresh Life, we're at this spot of giving and offering to God above and beyond to expand the reach and the scope and the breadth and the depth mm. of what God is doing through Fresh Life's ministry. Yeah. And we want to invite you to be a part of that. That's right. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you even to, to give generously, to be a part of what's something that has been blessing you and looking forward to the future of what God is going to do. Yeah. Um, I know for us, as, as we have as a family um, given generously and sacrificially even with faith, um, it's just done something in our hearts that connects us to heaven. And and I just, I wish that for everyone, that everyone would get to experience that. And so I just want to challenge you um, to give with faith. And truthfully, God always meets you when you extend yourself in that way. Yeah. For there to be that launching into the unknown, right. that risk, that sense of excitement that gets your heart pounding. Um, the Bible says that Solomon gave God a thousand burnt offerings and that very same night God said to Solomon, ask and uh, anything you want I'm going to bless you with. And, and I, I just think that there is that special revelation, that, that special spiritual power, mm. that special blessing that comes upon a sacrificial step of faith. And so whether you, you know, right now are at a place where your funds are limited and for you a gift of $100 would, would, would be a huge stretch for you or you're at a place where you could sow into our, our ministry a thousand or 10,000 or even more to really say and make a statement, I believe in what God is doing through Fresh Life and I wanna see more people experience the love of Jesus through this ministry. And so for you to really, in a major way, make a statement uh, by sowing a seed like that, uh, not only would we just be thrilled for our sacrifices, we as a family and all of us at Fresh Life are entering into this to partner with you in that way as part of our Fresh Life online family, not only would that be an honor, but we're gonna believe that God's gonna unlock things in your heart as you create that runway and watch what he will land in your life That's and right. use you to do. So click the freshlife.church website, you can grab the give button there, and then the wild blue yonder drop down. And we'll believe that God's gonna do amazing things, not only through us, but also in our lives and That's families. That's right, we love you. God bless you. Come on, anybody else excited? Is there just not just a sense of jubilation in the house um, as we come to the finale, uh, the, um, the climactic conclusion? of the Wild Blue Yonder series. Come on, this is week five. Thank you made it. Thanks for being here. But make no mistake, we're not here for the end of something. We're here for the beginning of something. This is the launch pad. And the launch pad is the culmination of all that came before it. But it's not the end of anything. It's the beginning of something brand new. It's to infinity and beyond. And that's that's really what we're, we're here for. Um, and I hope that you attach a significance to what's happening, what's about to happen in your midst. Um, if you're new, if you're, you were brought by a friend, you, you, you stumbled into um, our Fresh Life family Christmas party. Um, 
We'll be having one in, in a, well, we're having 39 of them in a couple days where it's everybody, friends, family, everybody coming in, invited into to our, our formal Christmas party. But this is, this is us as a family, how we like to celebrate Christmas, by honoring the one who came to this world. And um, so in just a minute, we're going to see people all across our church uh, all around you are going to be getting up out of their seats with, with tears and joy and excitement coming to bring an offering. Just like those wise men who came and brought gifts to the baby Jesus. We're, we're celebrating Christmas by giving to the one who has given us everything. And, and you're going to see them of their free will, giving above and beyond their tithes and offerings so that God can do something above and beyond in this house and in our hearts and in our homes and in our families. And uh, I hope you're aware that what God's going to do through all of this is, is even bigger than just all of this. You know, we're, we're not just looking at our church through, through the lens of what's there, but the church that God sees, which we know is, is in more places than it's in, it's reaching more people than it does currently, is doing more good in the cities than it is right now. But it's even more than that because we don't just look out to, you know, the years and years that God's going to use these gifts to make a difference on into eternity. But I hope you understand that, that God is capable of even doing things outside of even our time on earth through this act of faithfulness. I was reading this week uh, a, a book on Audible. It actually was read to me. Um, and uh, it was on the, 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 the flight of the Wright brothers. Um, first time ever, uh, heavier than air machine flew, these, these two boys from Ohio. And I was, I was reading about how, it's the last thing in the book actually, about how when uh, Neil Armstrong in 1969, during the Apollo 11 mission, when they landed on the moon and man walked on the moon for the first time, he had a piece of the left wing of the Wright Brothers 1903 flyer in his pocket. He brought it with him to the moon. Evidently, that didn't phase you like it phased me because I was like, stop. Like, I just, I just got chills just thinking about it because it was such a humble gesture to say we are here on the moon because we are standing on the shoulders of those who went before us. And, you know, I was thinking about all the difficulty, you know, Kennedy's bold, you know, statement, we will go to the moon in this decade and come back, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And we're going to do the other things. And we're going to do the other things. Because going to the moon and back, that's, and the other stuff. I just love that kind of like, let's go, kind of a faith, you know. Let's go to the moon and do some other things. And what Neil Armstrong and the, the, the Apollo 11 team and NASA, what they were communicating with that was, was they were honoring the sacrifice of those who blazed the trail before them. That in 1903, two brothers on a field called Kitty Hawk there, they, they for the first time flew. And what that opened up to allow them to be at a place where they could do what they did. And as we approach this moment, we both look back to those who have come before us, and we admit we are standing on the shoulders of the men and women of God who have paved the way for us. But we also look forward believing God is going to use our sacrifice and our faith and our willingness to go all in, and he's going to use it to inspire people, and he'll even do it after we're dead. This is our kitty hawk, and one day someone's going to take one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, saying, 
do it through Fresh Life, He can do it through us. So it is with a sense of, of both sides of the story that we approach this holy reverend moment. And so if you would help me thank the worship team and then grab your seat, and we'll jump right in. If you have a Bible, join me in Luke chapter 10. I have a little Bible study ready, but really, truthfully, we're here for actions, not just words today. We're here for actions, not just, not just words. And um, if you're a visitor, you're brought by a friend, uh, please just sit back, feel, feel no obligation to participate. Uh, what you're about to see is you're about to see love in action. You see, the truth is love always gives. God so loved the world that he, you can give without loving, but it's impossible to love without giving. If there's love in your heart, then giving is the natural result of that. Jesus said your treasure and your heart is connected. So if you love something, giving will follow. So, so what you're going to see is not just a bunch of people who say they love Jesus. We're showing it. We're showing how much we're committed to the church that Jesus is building and the work that he's doing and the kingdom that was worth the precious blood of his son. And so we're, we're saying if it was worth, if, if the church was worth Jesus to God, this is what it's worth to me. And that's the statement that, that we're making together as a, a family. You're, of course, invited in if you want to participate, but, but no, feel no obligation. But that's what's happening here. And, and I'm just going to basically, you know, like before you'd go running, we'd do a little stretching, you know, get on the phone. This, this little prep talk here is just a chance for us to get on the foam roller, make sure our hamstrings are loose. Come on, let's, let's make sure. I'm going to squeeze. I'll, I might get a little bit going a little bit. That'll be the, the, the Olympic cupping. I'll squeeze the cups on your back and get the Michael Phelps, you know, alien things on there and... That's the weirdest description of a sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> Luke 10. I have one word in my heart. I feel like my assignment for this time is to just inject a word that I hope would ring in your hearts as you give. And the word that, that God gave to us that's just been kind of in my wife and I's mouth and heart um, is, is the word wonder. We were singing it a minute ago, wonder. We can, um, the, 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 I see the world in, in grace. I see the world in gospel and, and just this idea of, of wonder. And so that's, that's the, the assignment. Um, the definition is epic. Check this out. Definition of the word wonder is rapt attention, admiration, or astonishment at something awesomely <laughs> mysterious. Great. I didn't know you could use the word awesome as Lee. I'm going to do that regularly. Lee. Awesomely. Awesomely mysterious. Is, is that not a good word? Is that not a great definition? Awesomely mysterious. Rapt attention. Admiration. Um, why, would, why would we pick the word wonder of any, of any word we could pick? Well, our, our, our theme, I mean, look at this word right here, wonder. Our, our theme, here's why we'd pick it. Because our theme is so big. Wild blue yonder. That's so big. And when you think of something so giant like that, how do you get your head around space? How do you get your hands around space? So we got to shrink it and make it pocket-sized, okay? So we shrink down wildly yonder, and look what happens. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. What do we have here? Come on, that's good. All credit goes to Jenny Lesko. She thought of that. Play on words. All right. Title of my message, if you take notes, is Waypoints of Wonder. The Waypoints of Wonder. Luke 10, what do we have? We have the 70, this group of people Jesus sent out preaching. He grabbed these 70. He's like, y'all go preach. Y'all go out into this area, go out, preach. He gave them some specific instructions, some assignments. Uh, their role was, as best as I can figure, a lot like John the Baptist. They were mini J the Bs. They were trying to create 
runway. Runway so that the gospel message would have road to go down. They were making straight the way of the Lord. So they were announcing the kingdom that had come in all these different cities and areas and, and all that. Apparently, it went really well. Uh, they were given power. They were given power in Jesus' name to perform miracles and you know, do amazing things that, that were done in that time as they were going out. And uh, when they were coming back, they were excited about it. They were, they, were, they were a lot excited about it, all right? They were, they were cheering. You get the sense that they, they kind of, like, you know, it, they were excited about their performance. They were excited about how they had done. They were comparing notes, like, oh, really, cast out three demons? Oh, cast out seven. And, uh, you know, kind of like it was getting kind of like rivalry. And, and they, were, they were comparing notes on how awesome they were at performing their ministry assignment that Jesus had given to them, which is pretty much what the 12 disciples did every day. So let's not be too hard on the 70 for it. But Jesus kind of calls them all in right as they're kind of like, you know, getting a little bit excited, sitting a little bit high in the saddle about their, their ministry efforts. And uh, he calls them in for a Vince Lombardi-style post-game locker room debrief. And um, he's going he's gonna to take them to task a little bit. So that's what we're going to see. And I think it's going to help us get this right attitude of wonder uh, that, that he wanted them to have that I think he wants us to have going into such a monumental weekend, right? Yeah. I think we could probably use a talk like this because how epic and big and my, Neil, we're like the Neil Armstrong and the Wright brothers. This is so big, man. We're going boldly where no one's gone before. We really need this pep talk if we're going to be talking like we're talking, all right? So here's what it says. It says, verse 17, Luke 10. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Like, like that's gangster. <laughs> Lord, we, we demons, they, they don't even step up to this, because we'll just take them out. That's what we're going to do. We'll take them out. You got any more demons you want us to take out? We'll do it. Put us in the right direction. We're lethal. We are, we are, they're giving each other nicknames. It's crazy. Verse 20. Oh, verse 19. Let's just do that one first, because it's next. Let's do verse 18, because we're feeling chronological. <laughs> verse 18. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. All right. We got a topper on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We got a topper, right? They're excited because they cast a couple demons out. He's like, you want to play that game? Right? <laughs> I, saw, I was there when Satan fell from heaven like lightning, right? Do you, you know any toppers, right? So I got a new skateboard. Oh, I met Tony Hawk. How's that? <laughs> oh, well, you know, just another day, right? It's like, okay. All right, Jesus, we get it. You're better than us, right? But he's got a purpose to this. I saw Satan fall like, heaven from light, like, light, like lightning from heaven, verse 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You can read in commentaries about what he's doing. He's connecting this moment to Genesis 3 when venom and curse all came into this world. And he's saying that what you have on your hands is power that can actually overcome the curse. And the greatest expression of what the curse brought in is death. And the gospel overturns death itself. He said, you, you guys have, you want to talk about power? You got real power. Curse, overwhelming power. Grave, overwhelming power. But nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in your awesome power, that the spirits are subject to you, that you're the stuff, that you're amazing. But rather, he said, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Come on. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. 
He was modeling the attitude they should have had, but merely the mention of it, him bringing it up caused him to start rejoicing in the things that they were neglecting to rejoice in because they were caught up in how awesome they were. And he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and you've revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Father, we ask that you would speak to us something precious and powerful in your name. We pray this. Amen. Amen. When pilots pilot their craft around through airspace, it's pretty important that they don't crash into each other. And by pretty important, I mean that's what we're counting on every time we get on the plane. But you ever think about how that works exactly? Because we started the series week one with this message from the life of Abraham. We called it the city in the sky. And we talked about how Abraham was willing to do something that seemed crazy to people around. Like if you explained to your, your neighbor, your friend, your family, you told what you were going to give in this offering, they might tell you, you're crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Wouldn't you do that with it instead? Why don't you do this with it instead? And Abraham, his friends and family thought he was loco in la cabeza, right? That means crazy in the head. They, they said, why are, you, why are you living in tents, Abraham? Why did you leave Ur of the Chaldees? Why, 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 why are you doing this? Why soldiering? Why, why? And he said, the city in the sky. I do what I do because I got my eye on the city in the sky. I'm not looking at this city or I'm not even looking at this place here. I've got my heart set on heaven. I'm living like I'm already in heaven because that's where my true life is. I'm going to live here 70, 80 years or in his case a little more than that because he was, you know, Abraham. But for most of us, 70, 80 years, where we're going to live forever is heaven. If we're Christians, heaven is our home. This isn't our home. So we can live in tents here, so to speak, in some way or another with our heart set on the city in the sky. And that explains what seems crazy to, to some people. And uh, we talked about, as an illustration of that, that there are, at any given moment, 6,000 planes overhead just in the United States alone. Remember week one, we showed a little bit of the footage. Here's some more footage. It just shows, this, this one's cool because it shows um, daylight and, and night falling. Uh, and you, you see the, the flux of, of aircraft coming from overseas. And it's pretty amazing, really, to think about all the planes. It's right now, over us, there are uh, about a million people in the whole world, a million people in the air flying around at any given po point. That's the size of the city, San Diego, uh, in the sky, flying to and fro on the earth. There are always, at that, at that, at that, at day or night, that, that kind of uh, people flying, flying around. So it's crazy to think about. There's like a city in the sky above us and not, not just the one that we're, we're going to go to when we die heaven. And, uh, and, and so you think about uh, what crazy, critical measures must be in place to prevent aircraft uh, collision mid-air. And the unsung hero in all of this, of course, is air traffic control. And you have, thank God, people who get up every day and sit in front of terminals with, with walkie-talkies and computers and radar screens, and they navigate and they assign airspace to planes to make all of this possible. And you, you think about the fact that I read, on any given day, an air traffic controller reporting for duty knows that during that day, between punching in and punching out, they're going to hold 50,000 souls in their hands. What are you going to do today? Try and keep 50,000 people alive today. That's what I'm going to try to do. It makes me nervous just thinking about it. 
And, uh, and they, they, of course, are balancing which uh, places that planes can land, uh, have which medical uh, access to what things. And, and, of course, someone has to know, if I divert you here, can that be treated? That stroke that was on the plane, can it be treated? No, we're going to divert you to a city where a stroke can be treated. I mean, just the complex you know, org- organization of this all. Uh, 9-11 is kind of the you know, really uh, perfect example of why air traffic control is so important because you think about the fact that on 9-11, uh, that Tuesday morning, for the first time in American history since the in- invention of the airplane, uh, American airspace was closed. The sign was flipped from open to closed, and you could not fly in the sky anywhere over our nation. And within a period of three hours, all of the planes that you see over our country coming and going from Europe and from Asia and coming and going across from here and there to grandmother's house we go, all of them had to either be uh, returned home where they were coming from or grounded somewhere in that moment. And they uh, landed 5,000 planes or diverted 5,000 planes in three hours. Three hours. Come on, it's here for the air traffic control. That's amazing. At the height of it, there was a two-hour period where a plane was landing every second. Every second, a plane was landing somewhere to get the planes out of this guy because we didn't know where the next target was going to be or what exactly was happening. Now, one of the things, and there are many things that allows this all to happen, is, of course, the fact that they keep a vertical distance from plane to plane of 1,000 feet and a lateral distance of five miles. Uh, but but the, the biggest thing, so far as I can tell, according to my research, that keeps it all clicking along safely as it is day in, day, out, day in and day out has been the advent of something called waypoints. Now, waypoints are, are, are as old as, as flying because they used to be geographic landmarks tied to actual objects you could see out below. But of course, as high as we go above clouds and the fact that planes now fly at night. Hello, that's crazy. They're looking out the window. What do you see? Nothing. Okay. Uh, so do I turn right when I see the lighthouse? No, you're not going to see the lighthouse because you're at 30,000 feet and there are clouds and it's pitch black and you're over the Atlantic Ocean. There are no lighthouses in the Atlantic Ocean. Turn right at the pot of whales, maybe. No. So what we had to do was we had to figure out how to assign waypoints that would cause planes to know they're on the proper way at points along, at intervals along, uh, through these things called waypoints that are attached to coordinates. They're all GPS, and uh, they're all over the world. By all over the world, I mean all over the world. Here's a simulation of waypoints that are all over the world. And you don't know about these, and I don't know about these, but pilots know about these, and they have to, as they fly, stick to uh, their different waypoints with their assigned airspaces and their approach. They're told to approach the airport and all of this, and sticking to their waypoints as they do the incredibly complex symphony of planes going to and fro in the city, in the sky, happens without a hitch. Uh, the fun thing about this is the fact that each waypoint is always five letters, and it's always pronounceable. So it's not just an intelligible random uh, sequence of numbers or letters. It's always letters, and it always can be pronounceable by someone, regardless of whether English was their first language or not, that you could look at it and you could, you could pronounce it. Um, so examples of, of waypoints. Uh, here, here's one. Um, in St. Louis, there's a waypoint called Arch. Look at that. They've been clever with it, A-A-R-C-H, to get it in five letters always, like I said, arch. Uh, because in St. Louis, there's, and I'm talking about McDonald's, one of the amazing, <laughs> gigantic arch in, in St. Louis. In the city where Mark Twain was born, there's one that's Twain. Yeah, that's amazing. So they will nod to Mark Twain being from there. Uh, here, look at this one right here. Uh, this is Piston. Where do you think that one's at? Detroit. 
it's in Detroit, of course. Uh, eight Mile Hello. And there's also one in Detroit that's uh, this one. Look at this. <laughs> Some of you old people are like, wait, wasn't Hershey from Pennsylvania? <laughs> Ask your kids what we're talking about here. All right, then there's another one right here. This is a Shark. That one's in Australia. Do, 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 do. Ah, right? All right, so then there's another one. Uh, that's barbecue. That's in um, Kansas City. There's also R-I-B-B-S and S-P-I-C-Y in, in Kansas City. They're big fans of their, uh, their ribs, obviously. All right, so then there's, look at this one. I like this one. Snoopy. That's in the city where Char- Charles Schultz was born, uh, the one who was the illustrator and author of the comic strip Peanuts. So Schultz, Snoopy gets his own. And then I like this one right here. W. That's outside of Reagan uh, Airport in uh, Washington, D.C. W. That's, I like that one. All right, this is my personal favorite, though. Look at this. Uh, trail and, oh, Blazer. That one's in Portland. So uh, shout out Portland, Fresh Life Portland. Trail and Blazer. Your, pi- your pilot might be on approach going from trail to Blazer or, or at some point uh, there. Um, and, and there could be a whole sequence of them. So if there's, if there's a number of them, because in big cities, you might pass a, your plane might pass a waypoint, whether it's one of theirs or not, uh, every minute, uh, but in, uh, you know, you might in northern Canada or over the ocean not pass one every couple hours, but uh, in areas where there's more of them, they, they sometimes name them uh, that you would get in sequence uh, to, sp- to say something. So the funniest one that I could find was, was this one. Look at this. Is this one. I taught. Then you would next fly to I taught, and then you'd fly to putty, and then you'd fly to tat, and then the last one is I deed. <laughs> Now, now, now the tables have turned because now the kids who thought they were so cool because they knew who Eminem was can ask their parents, what in the world is that? Because you did not grow up watching Looney Tunes cartoon. I did, I did, I did see a putty tat. Come on, how great are these? How much would you like your job to be... Now, in case you think I'm making this up, this is real. We have a pilot at our Salt Lake City campus who flies, and uh, we asked him, would you snap a picture in the cockpit of your next flight to show us one of these in action? He sent us this. This is him flying from Salt Lake City to Denver, and along the way, he's flying from Ensign to Coke to Cheeto, I don't know how you say that one, to uh, Hertz, and uh, I don't know if that has to do with a rental car company or not, but that's literally how pilots fly through the city in the sky from waypoint to waypoint to waypoint. They function like digital breadcrumbs. It's, this is, it's been called by the Atlantic magazine, the hidden, cor- the hidden geography of the sky as it, as it takes place. And so here's where we're going. I felt like God would have us just to, from this, this passage, just uh, make sure that we're flying along the right waypoints as we give, making sure that we're staying on trajectory to land at a place where we're giving with a spirit of wonder. So I got five, uh, in the spirit of you had to have five letters, and I got, I got five just for you real quickly. If you jot them down, number one is risk. I want us all to ask before we bring this gift, is this a gift that, that speaks of risk, or are we playing it safe? Is, is it right for us to use the phrase wild blue yonder, or should it be called shallow yellow baby pool? You know what I'm saying? Like, is this, is this a gift that you could give and never feel? Is this a gift that you could give and never notice that it's gone? Because if that's the case, then, then maybe let's, 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 let's get our trajectory up a little bit. Let's, let's get a little bit of elevation. Let's, let's get to the place where God wants us to be, the God who gave it all. Let's, let's respond with a statement of risk because there needs to be risk for us to use faith. 
David was going to give a, give a big gift to God one day, and someone said, no, no, let me, just, let me, let me give you the land you're trying to buy, because I feel awkward that you're going to give it to God. And, and so he said, let me just give it to you, and you can give it to God. And David said, no, I refuse to give to my God something that costs me nothing. And I just, I just, I'm not trying to say your gift doesn't have risk. I'm just saying, does your gift have risk? This is a question for you and the Lord and your family. Say, is this a gift that, that involves faith? Is, is, this, is this something that I can do in my own? Is this something that, that, that there's not going to be any cost attached to it whatsoever? I had prayed through our gift, and my wife, Jenny, had prayed through our gift, and we came together. We sat down with our checkbook, and we looked at all of our investments. We looked at the ways that God's blessed us. And it's been amazing, honestly, through years and years of this, kind of giving, that we have come to a place where as we look on God's blessing, it's really eye-opening to look at. Because honestly, in just time out, once you've chosen to tithe and once you ratchet it up with giving, it changes how you spend what's left. You're, you're a wiser version of yourself. You're more heavenly-minded, but you're a shrewder person. You're taking things from the Proverbs. You're thinking through. You're thinking long-term. And, and so as we look at how God's blessed us from step to step, as we look back across the vistas, and hey, don't mistake what I'm saying. There's valleys in between the vistas. I look back mountain to mountain to mountain, year to year to year, there's 11 years of this church, there's some high mountains, and it just keeps getting brighter and brighter as we, as we move forward. Uh, so so we, she prays through, I pray through, and I wrote down something that, that honestly, it was the biggest gift we've ever given as a family, and uh, something that, you know, it would cost us something. There's things we would, oh, it'd be great to do. We're not going to do it this year because this, we've chosen to do this. And then Jenny tells me her number, and I'm going to tell you, her number had more faith than my number. And... Um, <laughs> And I, I said, honey, um, we actually got into a fight about it. it was, I don't know if anybody else feels the struggle of the wild yonder, but my God. Uh, I, I just said, you know, mine has faith. Yours is stupid. I don't, no, we should not give that much. It just doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I, I got a little, my blood got going a little bit. I'm like, I'm a faith, but it's calculated faith is, you know, it, you're, you're, honey, let's talk about this. I, I felt my inner 12-year-old coming out. And. And, and, you know, we, where we ended at was a number in the middle between our numbers. But, but here's, here's all I'm saying is, is, is there should be risk for us in this. And let's make sure we're flying by that waypoint and not missing it. Uh, we could end up off course. Uh, the second is duty. I wrote that down. Duty. Duty, because we all have a part to play in this. And, and my question to you is, are, are you doing your duty? Are you doing your duty? Because I need to do my duty, you need to do your duty. The moment any of us, we let our foot off the gas because we look around and go, man, the church has grown so much. There's so many people. There's so many people to give. I, I'm having a tough spot, so I'm not going to give. I'm going to pull myself out, but we'll keep coasting along, right, because so many other people. Here's my only question. What if we all gave like you're about to give? What if every one of us were, did our duty at the level that you're doing your duty right now? How, how would our church advance? How would we take ground? What would God do if we all abdicated our right and our responsibility to do what we're supposed to do. We all must do our duty. But I also think that word has another sense that's going to be helpful for us in that whatever part we're called to play, big or small, from the, from the youngest child in Fresh Life Kids uh, who, has, who has taken of what they've worked. And I don't know about your kids. My kids were doing extra work and extra chores trying to earn money. And so, you know, they're, they're doing this and they're doing their part. But from the youngest child who will bring a, a $7 gift in or a $50 gift in or whatever it is to, to those who have means and who, who are going to give a gift that to, to many people in the church would look like a much larger gift. But in God's eyes, here's what, here's what he sees of, us, of each of us. We're doing merely our duty. All of us are merely doing our duty doing our duty. And there's a great dignity in doing your duty. And um, there's this story that is in Luke 17. 
and it's, you should read it on your own time, but basically Jesus tells this story about a, a servant who's working all day out in the field, and so basically he comes in the house, and he's tired because he did all this work, and he thinks he's entitled to a little bit of re- relaxing and respect, and so he kicks his feet up in the master's chair, and he's like kind of expecting he's going to eat, and Jesus says, no, that, that servant needs to go and change his clothes from his field clothes and begin to do the job of preparing his master's supper. And then he, he explains the parable to each of us, and he puts it this way in the culmination of, of the passage where he says in verse 10, when you've done everything expected of you, be matter of fact about it and say, the work is done. We did what we were told to do. We merely did our duty. We merely did our duty. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, no matter what you've been entrusted with that you're going to give with, or what I've been entrusted with that I'm going to give with, none of us are going to go put our feet up on the coffee table like we're big shots in this. All of us are merely doing our duty. Do, and what a great honor it is to get to do our duty, because God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. So we're merely doing our duty. He saved us, and he entrusted us with what he has. And so out of it, there's a, great, there's a great passion that should fill our hearts as we say we are doing our duty. Which, which gift matters the most, though? You know, doesn't one? Here, here's what matters the most. Every single piece working in cooperation. What's the most important part of an airplane? Well, it's got to be the wings. Really? Well, what about the turbine? Well, the turbine for sure. Well, what about the flaps? Oh, yeah, the flaps. What about the rudder? Oh, huh, the rudder. Probably the nose? Totally nose. What about the, the, the pedals? Yeah, probably the pedals. What about the stick? Got to have the stick. The point is every rivet matters. Every piece matters. Every part matters. Do your duty. Don't abdicate the duty, but don't think you're doing anything more than your duty. Let's do our duty. Amen? That's a waypoint we got to fly through. How about this one, third one? Naivete. Naivete. Um, it's, it's not only a fancy word, because it's got little things floating around it, uh, but, but, but I love it because it speaks of a childlike, whimsical faith. I, I, I always hope that we stay naive. You know, some of the best things about fresh life is what we don't know. And, and the, reason, the reason we make so many mistakes is because of what we don't know, right? But I think there's something about that. Because didn't Jesus say, didn't he say to his father, God, I thank you that you haven't chose to give your, your, your knowledge to those who got it all together. You picked babes. You picked kids. He's looking at these 70 idiots fighting. He looks at his disciples, you know, I'm, and he's like, I'm, I'm grateful you work with morons, God. I'm, I am. Because, you know, God didn't go to Jerusalem and pick all the Pharisees and pick all the priests and pick all the people who are all prof- professional pastors and all awesome, shining up their halos, you know, polishing their, their badges. He picked a fisherman. He picked a tax collector. He picked a zealot. Come on, the Wright brothers didn't go to college, didn't have formal training, didn't have any money. They're just two pastor's kids who love studying birds and had the crazy idea to build an airplane. And they were made fun of all across the aviation clubs of France. And they were panned in newspapers all across Europe. They were just podunk kids from Ohio who had this passion. And you know what? That's how we want to stay. We want to stay naive. God uses the simple. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Let's stay small in our own eyes. Let's never think it's about us. Let's keep just doing what God tells us to do. And let's never listen to someone who tells us that it's not going to work. Let's believe the dream and keep going. Come on, to quote the late, great Steve Jobs from his 
epic speech at Stanford College, stay hungry, stay foolish. That's the sermon that Jesus would have preached. Stay hungry and stay foolish. Let's, let's stay on in that way. Let's not, having begun in the spirit, be, think we can make ourselves perfect in the flesh. Amen? Let's be like little kids. Little kids don't, you know, they, first of all, they're not impressed by anybody, you know. And uh, I just love the childlike imagination. I feel like we need to have the wonder and the whimsy and the, 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 the naivete as we, as we give, saying, well, let's see what you do, God. You could do it. You're God. You could do it. Come on, Clover, she'll preach a sermon to you. God, do it. Like, she's, just, she's not afraid of obstacles. She's excited. She got baptized last week. She's excited about Jesus. She's got a passion for God. She can't wait to go to heaven. She, she cries regularly when we teach history. She's like, are they in heaven? I just don't know if I can handle it, if I can't meet them. She's just got such a tender heart, and I want to be more like that. I don't want to lose that faith like a child, right? All right, there's a fourth one. It's this, optimism. Let's have a forward lean. Let's get up on our tiptoes. This is, the devil's not going to take what's happening here lightly. As we get engaged, there's going to be obstacles. Let's get on our toes with a mentality of optimism that says, God is for me. Let's not be, be finding the fault in everything. Let's believe the best. Let's keep finding the good. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. He's overflowing our cups with oil, our heads with oil, and our cups overflow, and he goes before us. And Let's have, a, let's have a sense of optimism, like David, who said, I would have lost heart unless I believed. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let's be benefit finders and fault forgetters. Let's get our Teflon in the right. Oh, you thought I forgot about some assembly required. Let's get our Teflon where we need our Teflon. Let's get our Velcro where we need our Velcro. Let's ramp up the gratitude. And above all things, let's give understanding the proper weight that needs to be attached to the right things. I, I like that on one level because there should be a weight to it. Our gift should be weighty. That goes back to the risk. Like, is there a weight to this? Is it flipping? Is it oh, casual? I'll throw you know, this in. I, I think there should be attached a weight to what God's going to do. Why? Because this is attached to the saving of souls. This giving is attached to the saving of souls. I'm telling you that this church exists to see those who are stranded in sin find life and liberty in Christ. So we're not building these churches to entertain Christians. We're, we're, we're building them as places that people can come in, our broadcast can go out, so people can hear the good news and come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's put a weight on that. I'm saying let's put a weight on names being written in heaven. Yeah, we're going to crush some scorpions. Yeah, we're going to, I mean, all, God's going to do great stuff. But let's not forget the thing. Names written in heaven, starting with yours. He wrote your name in heaven. Let's never get over that. Let's never get used to that. Let's never get beyond that. Well, now we need to talk about this more. No, no, no. Names in heaven. That's the thing. Our names are written in heaven. Our names are written in heaven. Our names are written. Let's rejoice. We have seen that happen so many times. In 2017 alone, look at the number of people who have given their hearts to Jesus at our church in 2017 alone. 2,319 names. Names. People. And as this is the 11th year of Fresh Life Church, we look back and God's been so good to us. Look at this. 2017 right now, right? The Decisions for Christ, 17,000. 
122 people over the course. Come on. That's a reason to celebrate. That's a reason to give. We have every reason to believe our best days are ahead of us. How do you like that in 2017, we hit 17,000? That's awesome. By the way, we hit it last week. It's amazing. And um, it's, just, it's just too good. So, so let's attach the right weight to it. This, this giving should feel heavy to us in a good way. Heavy, like that's, when you hold something, you go, oh, that's heavy. That's, that's expensive. That feels heavy. It's, it's, that's, that, let's, let's put weight. God, the word God for glory in, in the Old Testament is the word weight. God's glory is weighty. There's a weight to it. It's a, there's a power to it. It's heavy. It's expensive. It's valuable. Let's put the right weight. And let's, let's, let's put weight on our place in history. Didn't Jesus turn to his disciples and go, you guys are freaking lucky? <laughs> Levi translation. <laughs> Blessed are your eyes for the things thou hast seen. For better men than you wish to see it, but didn't get to see it. Better men and women than you long to hear these things, but didn't get to hear it. Abraham didn't get to. He just got to see it in faith. City in the sky. You're seeing God build this church right now. Let's not forget that. I always tell our team, I don't want to get to heaven and have Charles Spurgeon pimp slap me up the face because he did all he did without a podcast. And here we were given the internet. And he's like, what'd you do with it? I preached my voice bloody. Didn't even have a microphone, chump. That's why. Why video? Why? Because we have it. So let's use it. All right, so, so I got, this is not a sermon, it's just a devotional, we're stretching. I just want to show you a quick little video, got one more thing in my heart to say, then my wife's going to pray, and we're going to give, so check out this video. The idea is there's three levels of giving. There's tithing, there's offerings, there's extravagant offerings, and God responded to his extravagant offering he gave by saying, what do you want? peace, you want strength, you want, you want this for your blessing for your kids, and what do you want? Ask, and it shall be given. God refuses to be outgiven. Don't tell me God's not touched by extravagant giving. And whatever God does with it, we get to be a part of the story. And the question that I feel like God gave me to ask you is this, where will our generosity allow Jesus to go? My life has always been revolving around drugs and alcohol, breaking the law. I mean, it's just the way that I grew up in the crowd I fell into, and that's how my life went for 40 years. In almost 16 years of marriage, we've been through a lot of stuff. It's been a pretty wild ride. We've been everywhere from PTA to... Federal prison. Federal prison. I've been an outlaw biker in a motorcycle gang. Being arrested over and over again. We lost our kids in a CPS battle. Through our life of addiction, we've lost everything homes and our vehicles and jobs and self-respect and yeah our lives are spiraling out of control control is what we were clinging so tightly to it was the last weekend of blood and thunder you know we had shown up with zero intent to tithe you know, we were in a tough spot we always were this is a difficult season i was working a corporate job 40 50 hours a week you know not seeing family very much we're expecting a new baby you know, on the side both of us are doing wedding photography as leaders of the helena campus it's been really cool to see jason and jadine really step up i remember the first time getting to meet with jason and he was still at that corporate job and really just trying to figure out what the right steps were to take that step of faith. I could see that hesitancy, but I could also see that spark. Being able to kind of talk him through it, see them take that huge step of faith. Yeah, it's been really neat to see them grow, not just 
as a couple, but as leaders in Helena and in their community. Uh, Jaden leads our merch team. Jason leads our photography team. Uh, they also lead our Fresh Life group. They're easy to talk with. They're so transparent and authentic. Mm -hmm. They took that small step of faith, even just to start tithing, to start giving, and to really seek the dreams God put on their hearts really about other people and what they can do for others. And it's such a great thing to be around. We were not used to tithing and giving first when we weren't comfortable. We only did it when we were comfortable, which wasn't, you know, like mentally, it didn't mean anything. Uh, but both of us just felt incredibly moved. We had, you know, the spirit was moving in us. Uh, and we just, we knew that God was asking us to give out of faith. Faith was never part of our old lifestyle. After being homeless, we had uh, gotten cleaned up, got a fifth wheel to live in. And we had moved a couple RV parks, so we ended up at one in Evergreen. And uh, that's where we met Brenda. Yeah, Brenda took us to Fresh Life for the first time. My, what, a, what an experience that was. And yeah. so we attended Fresh Life in Kalispell. Levi had announced that they were going to open up three new campuses next year, and one of them was going to be in Butte. And my wife and I, we lived in Butte for like 10 years. So Butte's got a real special spot in our in our heart because we just love the people of Butte and love what God can do here because it, it needs to be done. So we ended up getting a job in Bozeman, and that which moved our family closer to Butte because we knew we would never make the commute, commute from Kalispell. Went to Fresh Life in Bozeman, and um, met two amazing people, Sam Gonzalez and his awesome wife, Kit, and knew right then and there that uh, we were gonna get up at four in the morning and uh, drive to Butte every weekend to be part of this, to pay back what's been uh, freely given to us. I remember checking the kids in and walking to the Bozeman campus, and I think worship already started. I saw this couple, um, very noticeable, because they were full of tattoos. But I remember their hands were in the air, and they were just worshiping God with everything that they had. They knew who we were. They said, oh yeah, you're the pastor who's who's planning the Fresh Life View campus. And I was like, yeah. I was like, how'd you, how'd you know me? And they go, we're from the Cowspell campus. We just moved to Bozeman. And they That's mentioned crazy. how they have a heart for Butte. They were praying for Butte. They wish they could be a part of Butte. Their job was in Bozeman, but their heart was in Butte. Dina had such a, her heart was just full of gratitude yeah, for yeah. everything that Jesus had done for her. She has like a very sober view of, I don't deserve it. Yeah. but I have all of God's love. I think Aaron, just how he loved her through her darkest moments, and he stuck with her. But seeing them, not just accept the life and liberty that Jesus has given them, but embracing it, but wanting to spread it yeah. to every person they meet. They're, they're sacrificing not only their time, consistently coming out, Every single week. Every single week. Never late. Always showing up early. They're waking up as early as 4 a.m. Yep. To get here. Yep. And their weekends. But they're even getting an apartment so they can be here for fresh life groups. Yep. And that they can be here to meet people, to pour into their guest service team. Everybody has the same amount of grace. But I think Dina and Aaron are great examples. Mm. They know how much grace they have. Wow. Just because how broken they were. Yeah. I used to be a type of person where I was a control freak. So for me to be able to step back and go like, you know what, nope, God God has this, I couldn't do it. And through that, you know, it's blessed us significantly, not just financially, but relationally with each other and with our friends and our family. We had put God in this box with our business of like, okay, if we can just, you know, do this amount and right. you know, then our family can survive. And that's 
when we saw the big shift is when we gave up that control. We made that decision, you know, we felt called to, you know, leave my guaranteed paycheck, knowing and trusting that, you know, God, you're, he's gonna provide. You know, as long as we're glorifying him and what we're doing and giving our best, it's an opportunity for God to shine. Giving up control allowed God to honor and bless our sacrifice. sacrifice. As hard as it may be, is definitely worth it. All the stuff that we lost, we've regained, and some. Plus some. We went from having nothing, to having a home in Bozeman, and now being able to rent an apartment in Butte, so we can be here every weekend. The um, ugly life of addiction blocks the sunlight of the spirit. When we can talk about all this stuff, because Jesus took away the guilt and shame. What our life is like today is nothing short of a miracle. No matter how far down the scale we have come, our experience can benefit others to give hope. Amazing. So good. So if we fly through, wonder, we have to get along the way, the weight, the optimism, the naivety, the duty, and the risk. And if we do all that, We'll get to wonder. Come on. Come on, so good. So good. So. Good one. I feel like as we kind of move right into this last moment here, uh, we should think about awestruck majesty. That's wonder. It's awestruck majesty. And uh, what a perfect time of year to think about that. Christmas. Angels showing up in the night sky over Bethlehem. Stars drawing these, these, these magi across the world. Both of them have this in common. There are people live, giving their eyes up, up to the heavens. Yeah. Stars actually are the original old school waypoints. If you think about it. Yeah. Jenny has this magazine she gets in the mail and it's called... Darling um, Magazine, The Art of Being a Woman. The Art of Being a Woman. And um, she said to me, you gotta read this. And I, I, I said, doesn't interest me really at all. Um, but she said, no, this issue is all about space. And I marked up some pages for you and turned over, dog-eared some pages for you. And she highlighted these amazing portions. And I had to share a little piece of it that Jenny found. And uh, you're, you're discovering this week the real powerhouse of my sermon writing is right here next to me. Um, in the Darling Magazine, The Art of Being a Woman, it said, throughout history, the stars have served as a source of direction for wayfaring what a great word, wayfaring sailors and fishermen who trusted their lives to the stars as they glided through dark and uncharted waters, letting Polaris, the North Star, the fixed point in the night sky, guide them. But it continued, that's not all. Farmers knew when to sow their seed and when to reap as the constellations shifted with changing seasons. And that is how we're to give with our eyes on the stars in the heavens, not on the shifting circumstances of the moment. Ecclesiastes, where we began the series about cast your bread on the water, says this, if you observe the wind, you'll never sow. If you regard the clouds, you will never reap. There will never be a right time to do the right thing. Abraham would still be an Ur. You can't give looking at clouds and listening to wind. You gotta give with your eyes on the stars. Awestruck majesty. Let's give with wonder. Yes. Would you pray for us, love? Yes. I just wanted to say, too, um, you've said before 
um, how adults generally walk out of a building looking down. And whether it's, we're on your phone or we're just like thinking about stuff and we're trying to think of all the stuff we need to do. But children, um, when they walk out of a building, they look up. And I just love so much just this picture of us with childlike faith and childlike wonder, um, bringing our offerings um, to the Lord and looking up and seeing what he's gonna do. So let's pray. Father, we look up and we look to you and we bring these, these offerings this week with faith and with sacrifice and with the fact that, that you created the heavens and the earth and you are God Almighty and you are wonderful counselor. And we look to you on tiptoes thinking of who will our generosity reach? Believing that you were gonna go into the, we're gonna go into the wild blue yonder um, of, of all that you have for us. And we, you have allowed us to get to be a part of it. And we are just thankful. And we, I just pray over each and every person in our church, all across our church, Lord, as we come, Lord, that you would just fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that you would help us to see things we've never seen before, that you would open our eyes, you would open our hearts, um, allow you to move in power in and through us. And Lord, we just, we, we open our hands before you, we give to you knowing um, that, that you are great and you are good and you are powerful and you are gonna do it so far beyond what we could ever even think or imagine. And we love you and we're grateful and we lift this time up to you. What a joy in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching this teaching from the Wild Blue Yonder series. If at any time during this message you made the decision to put your faith in Jesus, congratulations, we are so excited for you and we would love to send you a Bible. Now to receive that, you can click the Know God button at freshlife.church and fill out the form there and we would love to get that in the mail for you. Now if you prefer a digital Bible, you can text the word Fresh Life, all one word with no spaces, to 99,000 and we would love to send that to you along with a 21-day devotional through the Gospel of John that Pastor Levi wrote. And if you would like to support what God is doing both in and through the Fresh Life House, there are several ways that you can do that. You can give by clicking the Give button on our website, giving via the Fresh Life app, or you can text the word FRESH to 45777. And if God has used this house to work in your life, we'd love to hear from you. We hear stories from people all over the world, and it's so incredible to see how God is working in the lives of people all over. Now, if you'd like to share your story with us, you can click the share your story button on our website, or you can email us at story at freshlife.church. And finally, for this Wild Blue Yonder series, we put together Wild Blue Yonder giving kits for everyone to have just to remember to pray for this series and pray for your year-end offering. And we would love to send you one. They come in this Wild Blue Yonder box. And inside, you'll receive a card with vision and just kind of direction about this series. You'll also receive uh, an envelope that comes with a card that you can write um, your year-end offering on, but it also comes with a way for us to pray for you. So if you wanna fill this out and send it back to us, we would love to pray for you. 
And finally, it comes with a super rad remove before flight keychain that says wild blue yonder on one side and risk the ocean on the other side. And this is just such a cool way to remember to pray for this series, pray for your year-end offering, and just believing alongside us what God is going to do as we launch into the wild blue yonder. Thank you again for watching this message.